Well, this is uh, um, the episode where I'm in San Quentin in 1984, looking at a two-year shoot program. Actually, they gave me a sentence. It's like two years, and if you do good, you can get out in 18 months or something like that. I ended up paroling out of the whole out of the shoe program. So, um, when I first got there, um, it was basically because it was so much gang activity, they wanted to get all the gangs off the the general population. So, the gangs were Crips, CCO, Constitutional Crip Organization, BGF, uh, Kumi, no, not Kumi. Kumi wasn't even there yet, around yet. I think it was 415 or something like that. Uh, you had Mexican Mafia, you had Aryan Brotherhoods, you had Nuestra Familia, Norteños, Sureños, um, you had Vanguards, you had Bloodline. Um, basically, it was all gang. I don't think. Well, the section I was in, in this section, it was all gangs. I don't think there was nobody that was not affiliated. I think they had a whole different section for that. So anyway, um, when I was uh, in 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 the uh, O-Wing in Solidad, that's where I caught attempted murder in the racial riot. Uh, when I was in the O-Wing, um, you know, we went to the yard and... Um, it was a big old brother. Oh, I forget his name. But anyway, you know, he said, this is where they're going to get down over, you know, in San Quentin. You know, you know, you come to the yard, you got to exercise. So basically, you know, it was training everybody to be warriors. Because, you know, when you get back out on that line, you, you, you got to stay ready for battle. Because at any given time... You know, it could be a war between the whites and the blacks, the whites and the Mexicans, or whatever the case may be. And you got to be conditioned for that, you know. So, basically, my two-year shoe program was a straight uh, warrior training. You know, I learned how to sharpen knives. I learned how to make plastic knives. I learned how to... Well, I was already sharpening knives. But I made them out of, you know, uh, unique materials because I never knew that you could make a bone crusher out of melting plastic spoons and forks, you know. And um, and it's crazy because, you know, they was making uh, uh, flamethrowers. Back in the days, they had that proline grease and it was flammable. So if you melt it and put it in a... uh, 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 mm, a head and shoulders thing, and somebody come by, you can light it and shoot it out, and it would shoot out on a person like napalm, napalm, and also, uh, you know, they had darts where you can have blow darts. You make blow darts, and you put garlic at the end, and that'll poison a person's blood system, and you know they end up getting infected and could possibly die. You, you could put feces on the tip of the the, uh, the the blow dart or your knife and stuff. You know, instant infection. 
stuff. So I'm learning all this old crazy stuff. I'm talking about this crazy, you know. And then, um, you know, if they don't like you, they would gas you. You know, you walk by the cell because every time you walk out the cell, you're handcuffed. You know, so you can't defend yourself. You can't block yourself, you know. And the guys would make poles. They would melt. I mean, they would fucking get some newspaper and they get some soap and they wet the newspaper and they get the soap and they roll it up real tight. And you roll that sucker up real tight. You tie it up with strings. And that sucker be harder than a broom handle. And put a knife at the end of that sucker. And you can spear somebody. When they walk by the cell. If your enemy or if you. If your enemy is is right down the road. And they see you coming. Because everybody had mirrors. They'll wait until you come by their cell. And try to poke you in your neck. You know, a lot of guys used to walk out their cells with their uh, towel going to the shower. They'll walk with their uh, towels around their neck. Or even they'll have it hood-like around their head so that it'll block, you know, them from getting stuck. So, um, two years in a hole, um, you know, we learn all these things. We go into the yard and, you know, basically everything is a conspiracy. Everything is... Okay, this guy did something such and such over while he was over in B section and now they got a hit out on him. So it was so many moves going on the yard that they they that this is when they still had the shotguns. So the shotguns was the guards was ordered to give a warning shot. Then skip shoot the, uh, the 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 shotguns to hit the concrete and hit you. Then if you still don't stop, they're gonna give you a direct aim. Then if you still don't stop, they're gonna get that uh, that mini 14 and tear your ass up. Yeah, but they were shooting so much with the shotguns that they just took the uh, shotguns out. And started with the Mini 14s. And the Mini 14s is like, uh, how can you shoot to disable with a weapon that's designed to kill? Because those bullets tumble. And as soon as they hit you, they'll tumble all through your body. And they might hit you in the leg and come out at the top of your neck. You know, because they tumble. And, um,. So, uh, 84, 83, then 84, and it was so many moves going on in the yard, but this is, I gotta share this with you guys. So, this is my first time making a plastic bone crusher. So, you melt the plastic, and then you start adding it up. So, when you melt the plastic... When you see the plastic, if it's real shiny, don't touch it. But as soon as it starts getting dull, then you can touch it and start rolling it and rolling it on the concrete. And then you can start fashioning the tip, making it thick at one side and thin at the other side. So I've been burning plastic all night. And I got me probably 
a nine inch, probably uh, two inch thick. Yeah, it was pretty fat. No, I, I'll say an inch and a half thick. And so I'm getting down to the last part. And so I'm rushing now because I'm, you know, I'm tired. I've been burning shit all night. And I don't want the guard to come in and do count and catch me, you know, making a knife because they're going to smell it. And, you know, they'll come by and they'll look in the seal. So if you hear them coming, you're going to turn off the lights and act like you sleep, you know, so they can come by and just, you know, okay. But anyway, um, I'm still rolling. Uh, I got the, I heated it up real good and we used to use the plastic bowls. You get the plastic bowls and you roll them around and you make a cone out of them and then you got you like a, a baby torch, you know, once you, you, you light it and cause if you roll it like a cone, then the air from the bottom is going to go up and it's going to feed the fire. So, you know, that fire is going to burn for, I mean, we used to cook food with, with the, uh, with the, pla- with the paper bowls and stuff like that. Yeah. So anyway, I'm looking at it and I thought that the plastic got dull, but it was still shiny. So I grabbed my hand on it and all that hot ass plastic stuck on my hand. I'm like, I didn't want to scream because they're going to say man down. So I had, you could just picture me with a silent scream. My face is like, but I couldn't say nothing. But that shit burned and burned. I couldn't do nothing but wait until it cooled down. And then I was able to peel the plastic off of my hand. And I had some pretty severe uh, burn marks. But, you know, that's that comes with the territory. And not knowing, you know. That's, that's experience. That's a learning experience. You know, and once you experience that, then you teach that to the next individual. You know. Uh, when I got to San Quentin, you know, you had to learn how... Five, with a knife, you have to learn five hits, one hit or quitters, where you can kill a person. Then you have to learn five hand combat moves to where you strike a person and kill a person. You know, so once you learn that, because sometimes if you're out on the yard, you got... Four guys coming at you with knives. And they got to hit you five times a piece. So four times five is 20 holes. That's going to be 20 holes in your ass. So if you see four guys coming at you with knives, you can't be bouncing around like Muhammad Ali. You got to drop fools, you know, and try to survive. You know, so that's the reason why you had to learn five one-hitter quitter moves and then five hand-to-hand one-punch moves, you know, uh, which areas that you're going to strike where you know that once you strike that person, he's going to fall and not going to get back up, you know. So, anyway, um, uh, this brother, he got killed by the Mexican Mafia. And uh, uh, Alexander... Mm. But anyway, um, 
that you know he was he was he was a crip. So anyway, all the crips took off on the police, and they had two different sections of crips. They had the constitutional crips, and then they had the blue notes or blue magic. Constitutional crip organization was basically revolutionary George Jackson type of crips. The other one was organized, but they was crips. They was crips. You know, they wasn't revolutionary crips, but they was just straight cuz and big tookie, she like him, day of the struggle, day of the will, and stuff like that. Then in the blood gangs, you had UBN, United Blood Nations, and then you had Bloodlines. But anyway, they took off on the guards. They hit about three guards, and then they put us on state of emergency. Once they put us on state of emergency, they locked the whole prison down and took all our property from us and left us with a pair of boxers, a t-shirt, one sheet, and and your flip-flops. That was it. We couldn't have nothing. And that was complete control. That was complete control where they strip you from everything. You know, you can't write to people, you can't go call, you can't go shower or nothing. So that was pretty enduring experience that I experienced, you know. And then once, you know, that finally eased down, they started shipping a lot of people out. A lot of, because they wanted to break up the unity. They wanted to break up, you know, anything, anytime people can come together and take off on police, you know, they're, they're going to uh, try to break that up. So they start shipping a lot of brothers out to uh, Old Folsom. You know, in 1984, they start shipping a lot of from San Quentin to Old Folsom and then Pelican Bay, you know, to break up that unity. And as my time was winding down, um... They shipped me over to North Block. And I went to North Block, which which was uh, uh, not a maximum security, but it was medium security. You know, we had a little little bit more free. The only thing, the only difference was we didn't have to get handcuffed coming out. But we were still in the cell 24 hours, 23 hours, come out the shower get to go to the yard, and we didn't have to be handcuffed coming out the cell. You know, that was the only difference. And that that was like, okay, you didn't been here, you ain't got no trouble, you're still gonna be locked up, but we're gonna let you come out without no handcuffs, you know, to see if you're gonna act right, you know. And you still had to do a substantial amount of time in the medium security and before you can go back to general population. That's like finishing off your sentence. Because I 83 and 84. And I was like 18 months. I was getting down to my last six months. And then uh, when I got down to my last six months. They knocked off. Uh, I think like three to four months. You know. So I ended up uh, paroling out of... Um, San Quentin in probably December 84 and 
that was pretty interesting. It was like coming from a dungeon and then you um, go out to, you know, freedom. Uh, yeah, it was it was it was very hard. The adjustment as far as me adjusting back to society. But that gangster mentality is something that I didn't have to adjust to. I knew that well. So when I got out in 84, that's exactly what I adjusted to. But anyway, I'm going to end this section, this session right now, this podcast, with, um, you know, things are going to, you know, I'm basically, you know, telling my story. Because eventually, I would love someone to take these podcasts and translate them into a book, you know, so that I can share my story. Because it's going to end up being a very uh, transitional and a success story, you know, from this is where I was and this is where I am now. In hopes that it can inspire people, you know. To know that they have the ability, you know, to overcome the mental slavery and overcome any obstacles that might be a stagnating force in their life. So until the next episode, peace. Hello there. I am back at you, and this is phenomenal because I presently have uh, 1,300 planes, and so now I'm motivated, you know, to start more episodes since, you know, things are catching on, and, you know, people are interested in the story that I'm telling sharing about you know my experiences and my transformations into the person I am today so uh in the last episode I mentioned that I got two years in prison for possession of a gun um you know sometimes sometimes you know things happen for a reason you know um I can look at it now as it was a blessing because um, I was going to end up shooting somebody and, you know, um, I was drinking a lot, partying a lot, and I wasn't thinking rationally and, you know, I became angry, you know, at a lot of stuff that was going on, you know, in the city of San Jose amongst my peoples, you know, because... Um, they wasn't up on that level, you know, and it it, it was basically a level of, you know, um, weakness and ignorance and out of all the things that I accomplished in life, you know, uh, when I was in YA, uh, I'm going to elaborate on you so that you can understand why I had that thought process. So when I was in YA... Uh, I had got seven years and you have to go to board 
in order to be released from YA. Just like prison, you have to go to uh, the uh, parole board. You know, and if they feel satisfied, then they'll release you. So, when I went to my first uh, hearing, you know, um, I realized that I didn't understand nothing that they were saying. You know, that my intelligence level was, you know, they were speaking, you know, legal uh, terminology and stuff like that. And using words that I did not comprehend, you know, so I felt that it was a weakness because they could be saying anything. They could be getting ready to do anything. And I don't understand. So I felt vulnerable, you know, and so I made a decision from that point on. Matter of fact, I read the book uh, about Malcolm X, the autobiography of Malcolm X, and I think it was one of the little uh, chapters where he basically said the same thing, you know, and he started studying a dictionary for an hour a day. So I started doing that. And, you know, within a couple of years, I got released. You know, I didn't wait for uh, them to ask me to get in a drug program. I didn't wait for them because I seen other people. That was going there and they tell them to come back and bring this. So what I did, I did everything before they asked me. I got my high school diploma, I got in a drug program, and I was also in a mentor program and stuff, you know, helping people, you know, with their uh, education and stuff. So I ended up getting released, you know. So that's the reason why I said that about the mentality of people. It's like they didn't want to put forth the effort to grow and better themselves and elevate themselves to a higher plateau um so anyway i go to susanville for the second time so i'm back up in Susie's house and you know basically it's the same thing that was going on i think susanville was very uh racist prison i think all of them are but susanville was way 90 miles north of uh reno and you know i used to call it clan territory you know wasn't no blacks living there you know, but anyway, uh, so I goes up there, and so my demonstration from uh, doing two years in a hole in San Quentin, uh, from coming from YA, uh, and then going to uh, prison, and ended up doing two years in a hole in San Quentin for an attempted murder and a racial riot. So by me, by me going to. Uh, by me going to um, Susanville, it was a totally uh, 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 a program where I've experienced things that enlightened me, where I've seen things more clear and I understood things. So now I'm ready to take it to another level. And the way I was taken to another level is just like I had the potential to start a gang, I also had leadership influence you know where i can influence others you know to elevate you know with a strong demonstration so my communications and my demonstration uh you know it brought people more together and they wasn't sitting idle in prison not doing nothing you know so um i think it was probably was in january uh uh black no i it might have been uh Black History Month, or it might have been uh, Martin Luther King's birthday. But anyway, 
I got together. I got all the gangs together, the Crips and the Bloods together, and we was both wearing one was uh, everybody was wearing a blue rag and a red rag. You know, whether you was a Crip or a Blood, you was wearing a blue rag or a red rag, and it signified unity. It signified that you know it doesn't have to be a separation and a constant battle between the two. You know, uh, and I felt very uh, enlightened and proud of the accomplishments that I was able to make um, of bringing them together. So bringing them together, uh, we marched. We said we was going to demonstrate this unity and then we was going to march around the track. So the administration and other prison gangs got alarmed they like oh my goodness these blacks are together they were enemies and this was to our advantage you know divide and conquer but now they're showing the strength of unity now the crypts and the bloods has come together so the guards they was getting ready to lock the yard down because they didn't know what was going on so it was something simple you know we just celebrating uh martin luther king birthday or, you know, yeah, I think it was, you know, because Black History Month is a whole month. So, you know, we would have did a lot more things. But I think it was Martin Luther King's birthday. So, anyway, um, the guard came to me and he said, he said, hey, look. Because, you know, it was a trip. Because all the white supremacist gang, they was on the second uh, floor. Like, they, did, they, they didn't know what was going on. So, they didn't want to get in a line of attack. You know, so they was all on the on the second tier watching everything. And then so, you know, the police up there, you know, they they aid they racist partners, you know, which is white supremacists, you know. So they got alarmed too. So they approached me and said, Well, I understand what you're doing, you know, and I respect it, but you know, it's causing an interruption on the yard. And I'm saying to myself, you know, well, these motherfuckers feel intimidated by us being together. That's not our problem. That's their problem. It's probably because of all the things that they did in the past, you know, and they feel that there's going to be a wrath inflicted upon them. You know, so anyway, you know, I didn't want to cause a disruption and not be able to accomplish uh, the gathering and the meeting and the demonstration so uh he said well you guys can go over there by the uh, softball diamond and you know in the bleachers and 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 just kick back you know and i said okay so you know complied we goes over by the um bleachers and you know we all get we give some little meeting and i spoke i spoke about unity i spoke about Independence, taking care of ourselves, you know, building our own gardens, you know, learning how to cultivate uh, uh, fields, uh, farms, you know, and through irrigation, irrigating, you know, your farm from a certain distance and how to do it and stuff like that. So um, it was phenomenal, you know, and we also, uh, Got into a couple of situations where, you know, other prison gangs, you know, uh, 
they work for the government, you know, and instead of being inspired by the unity, they tried, tried to cause discourse, you know. So after that, that, you know, after that day, everything went well. And some people have egos, you know, it's like, um, who is he? Who do he think he is? Don't he know that I'm, I got more rank than him and stuff like that? And I'm saying to myself, well, you know, if you had more rank than me, and if you was on the same level, then you probably would have did all this before I even came to Susanville for the uh, second time, you know. So, you know, there's all there's always uh, internal strife uh, being inflicted by the ignorance, you know, because that was an ignorant person to even be on that level, thinking on those terms and 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 trying to cause disruption in the strong demonstration that was just established, you know, that make people walk around and say, man, you know, this is good. I feel safe because we got this unity. We got this strength. We got so much strength. It shook the whole yard. It shook, you know, it, it made them feel some type of way. So when it makes them feel that type of way, it lets us know how powerful we are and how powerful we can be when we demonstrate, you know, unity and awareness. So, um, I was like, uh, that was, that was, uh, I, I really felt good that I could accomplish things, but at the same time, I felt like I was becoming a target because in this system, in this society, uh, 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 a black leader that's trying to uplift the people out of the, the, the mental slavery of ignorance is a threat because society don't have control no more. And the way society stays in power is by controlling and manipulating the ignorance. So, um, you know, I did quite a few things. Um, I think that uh, I just, you know, because I, I was a tattoo artist. So that's the way I passed time too. You know, lift weights, run the track, uh, do tattoos, and, you know, keep keep peace on the yard amongst our own people, you know, no internal strife amongst each other, and give a strong demonstration where no other groups, no other prison gangs feel that they can come and just do what they want and say what they want, you know, towards our people and try to victimize our people. You know, so that was the main thing that was accomplished in that year. And and, and and at that time, you know, it was a lot of things going on, you know, in society. Uh, the, the crack epidemic was just starting. And, um, you know, AIDS was at a plateau. HIV was at a plateau. And... Uh, a lot of things that was established during the civil rights movement, you know, Ronald Reagan and George Bush uh, uh, destroyed it all. So now things are getting kind of hard for our people and the struggle is starting to become a little bit more intense, you know, because the, the late 70s and early 80s, uh, all the rewards from the civil rights movements, uh, Martin Luther King, Malcolm X, and uh, the Black Panther Party, you know, there was a lot of programs and a lot of things that 
that that was accomplished to where it was a lot more easier for blacks, you know, to build the social economic structure and have a, a, a strong financial stability where we felt of importance, you know, especially out of coming out of slavery, uh, segregation, Jim Crow, and all the above. So now things are starting to get more intense. And I, I'm being aware that the government is specifically trying to destroy the accomplishments because of the fear of blacks coming together and establishing a strong economic foundation and you know a racist hateful mind don't want to see that so that was the acknowledgement and enlightenment that I accomplished and, and or not accomplished but became more aware of you know because when a person is out there partying doing drugs and not focusing you don't see the reality of the mental slavery that has captivated you and you don't even know that you're no longer a physical uh, slave but you're a mental slave you know and uh, so that was uh, from 85 to 86 and here I am um, in the process of getting paroled uh, from Susanville and I was getting ready to go back to the east side, San Jose. My mother has always been a person, you know, that was there for me. And I've always had a place to go, you know. And um, here I am getting ready to parole once again because um, it was like six months later after I got out of, out of prison. After uh, coming from San Quentin, here I am with a gun beef. You know, so I'm kind of like questioning myself, am I institutionalized? You know, because people in there, you know, people in there, they'll tell you, you know, that person is institutionalized. He can't stay out, you know. So I'm I'm really questioning myself. I'm like saying, well, dang, can I stay out? Can I stay out? Can I do this? You know, so uh, as I parole, that is the main main frame of mind that I'm in you know, is, can I stay out, you know, can I make this, you know, uh, without catching cases and, and stuff like that, so, um, I'm gonna end this session, you know, with, you know, I, I'm sharing all this information, you know, I, I in reality, uh, I, I'm recording all this information, so if somebody is interested in, you know, throwing me a book deal, book deal, you know, this is already recorded and they can transcribe it and we can edit it and go from there. But um, if you have any um, remarks that you want to leave, feel free to leave a mark, a remark and or, or, or a statement or any questions. You know, feel free to leave a question uh, uh, or a remark and let me know what you think about this episode. All right. Enjoy your day, enjoy your night, enjoy your morning, and peace and blessings.